Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Rahmanirrahim. ve nesalli ala Resulü el-Kerim. Amma ba. Alhamdulillah. Tonight is the 21st of October in the year 2023. Alhamdulillah. We're beginning the third week, the 15th night that we're going through the exalted and dear life of our illustrious mother, Sayyidah Khadija bint Khawailid. And among the subsection in which we're taking a few valuable lessons from the commencement of the prophethood. So another worthy point is mentioned by Shaykh al-Ahadith, Mawlana Muhammad Idris Qandahlawi, rahmatullahi in his Seerat al-Mustafa, sallallahu alayhi wa volume 1, page 169 of the English translation. Quoting, Alamatibi Rahmatullah writes in his commentary of Mishkat, Bear in mind that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes bestows knowledge through the medium of books and pens. This in technical terms is referred to as ilmi kitabi, knowledge acquired through books. The verse, and he recited the fourth verse of Surah Alaq, he taught by means of the pen is in reference to this type of knowledge. Stopping the quote. So, the respected Hanafi Sheikh is quoting a commentator of Mishkal called Alam Atibi. And he's also commenting upon these first five verses. And he says, one of the ways that people acquire knowledge is through books and pens. And he goes, this is in reference to verse four. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alladhi allama bil qalam. He taught by means of the pen. Then he said, However, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows knowledge directly without any apparently tangible medium. This in technical terms is referred to as ilmi ladunni, divinely inspired knowledge. He goes the verse and he recited the fifth verse. He taught man what he knew not is in reference to this type of knowledge. So he said the other type of knowledge is where Allah gives you direct knowledge. So you haven't read a book, you've not studied, you've not wrote. This is called ilmi ladunni. So where's the proof that this exists? The fifth verse. He taught man what he knew not. So look how interesting. In verse 4, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He taught by means of the pen. That's through books and reading and writing. But in the very next verse, he says, He taught man what he knew not. Because this is direct knowledge. So think about this. These were the first five verses that were revealed. And what is Allah, the Almighty and Glorious, talking to mankind after a 600 plus year break? He's talking about knowledge. You acquire knowledge through reading and writing, and you have also acquired knowledge directly. So look how beautiful. Rasulullah is receiving it directly. <laughs> so Allah Ta'ala is actually highlighting that you are receiving it directly from me without any inter, uh, uh, intermediate. In continuation, with regards to the general respect for one's elders, Shaykh al-Ahadith Mawlana Muhammad Idris Kandahlubi Rahmatullah in the Seerat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
volume 1, page 170, to one of the English translations, he commented upon the famous hadith of Rasulullah when he received the revelation. If the youngster person excels the elder in status, then too it is permissible for the elder whilst conversing with the youngster to employ words of address usually reserved for youngsters. As in the case of Waraka who in spite of acknowledging Rasulullah to be a divinely commissioned prophet, he addressed him as, O oh my nephew. Furthermore, we learn that when juniors present themselves in the assembly of seniors, the juniors should uphold a degree of reverence towards their seniors. They should avoid initiating the conversation until the seniors themselves do not commence talking. This is evident from the conduct of Rasulullah when Khatija requested to lend an ear to what Rasulullah had to say. And Rasulullah remained silent. Only when Waraka initiated the conversation by asking him, Oh my nephew, what did you observe? Only then did Rasulullah start talking and relating what he had witnessed. So again, this is another very valuable point. So, the respected Sheikh Mawlana Muhammad Idris Kandahalimi Rahmatullah is simply saying from the report, the elders may address the juniors as nephew, son or similar terms, despite the youngster excelling the senior in status. So again, if a person, for instance, if a youngster is uh, a scholar of the Quran, Sheikh al-Quran, can an elder who is just a layman still call the youngster nephew? And the answer is yes. Why? Where is the proof? Because Waraka addressed Rasulullah as my nephew. So some people think this is, this is disrespectful. You call him Mawlana Sahib. But an elder can do that. If a person goes, where is the proof? The very first hadith in Bukhari. Who is greater, Waraka or Rasulullah? Because of course Rasulullah. Then why did Waraka call him my nephew? He acknowledged him to be a prophet, so there's no harm in that. The second lesson is the youngsters should only speak after the elders have initiated the conversation. Where's the proof? When Rasulullah went to Waraka, he didn't say anything. The prophet is teaching you something. That he's younger. Because why? Because the elders should speak first. When Waraka said, Oh my nephew, what did you observe? Only then did Rasulullah start speaking. So the lesson now is the youngsters should only speak after the elders have initiated the conversation. So note on these valuable lessons. People narrate this very famous hadith, Bukhari Sharif, and yet they don't take any lesson from it. So I wanted to highlight some of the lessons that we get from these amazing reports. And of course, this is a very famous report, which we hear again and again, many times before we pass away. SubhanAllah, endless, priceless lessons from the glorious seed. So moving on. A very important question is asked. Was Sayyidah Khatija Allah the first to believe from this Ummah? Was she the first believer? So... Let's look at this. 
شيخ الأحاديث مولانا محمد إدريس كان دحلبي رحمة الله عليه إلى سيرة المصطفى صلى الله عليه وسلم Volume 1 page 174 of the English translation He elucidated mentioning other scholars The very first person to embrace Islam was his beloved wife Sayyida Khatija Al-Qubra And she was the first person to join him for Salah in Jama'ah on a Monday evening Thus, she is also regarded as the earliest member of Ahli Qibla, the people who faced the Qibla as a reference to the Muslims. This is also mentioned by Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani in Ali Isaba and Sheikh ibn Sayyid al-Nas in his Uyun al-Athar. So let's look at this. So the first thing the respected Sheikh says is that many of the scholars, they state that the first person to embrace Islam was Khadija. And she had the honor of praying behind the Prophet, the very first person to pray behind her on a Monday evening. Then the Shaykh said, Thereafter, Waraka ibn Nawfil was honored with embracing Islam, followed by Sayyidina Ali, who was for some time under the care of Rasulullah. He was 10 when he embraced Islam. On the Tuesday following, Rasulullah ordained to prophethood. He joined Rasulullah in Salat as well. This is also mentioned by Sheikh Ibn Sayyid al-Nas in his Uyun al-Athar, volume 1, page 93. So simply put, many say Khatija was the first to embrace Islam. She was the first to offer Salat with Rasulullah. There's no contest over that. All scholars agree to that. The very next day, Ali also prayed behind the Prophet Sayyidah Khatija radiyallahu thus had the unique honor of being the first to believe in Rasulullah In fact, women also have the highest distinct honor to have amongst them the first martyr from this ummah, namely the honored and revered Sayyidah Sumayyah radiyallahu who was martyred by the accursed Abu Jahl when she refused to leave her faith. Subhanallah, such is the status of women in Islam. I think about that. People always say women are subjugated in Islam, they're lowered, you know, they're second, like a second class stump and the rest of it. And the only reason they're talking like that is because you're an idiot. You can't defend Islam. So you go, well, I don't know much about Islam, but women have such a high station in Islam that it was a woman who was the first to believe. And it was a woman who was the first to be martyred. So, what can be greater than belief in martyrdom? So, note again, you know, highlighting, Allah Ta'ala did that deliberately. Ibn Ishaq rightly said, Rahmatullah, with regards to our beloved mother, whenever he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, suffered some unpleasant reaction or painful rejection, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala would comfort him through her. When he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, came back to her, she would give him strength and alleviate his pain. She would express her belief in him, make light of the opposition to him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless and comfort her in turn. This is in Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Kathir Seelah, volume 1, page 310 of the English translation. So Ibn Ishaq was saying, she was always there for the Prophet Anytime he was going through a, a great test, she was there to comfort him, reassure him, give him strength, and also make light. In other words, this is nothing, Ya Rasulullah. Because this is, you know, to make it easy for him. And then the Shaykh goes, May Allah bless and comfort her as well in turn. Indeed, it was due to her great influence 
that the polytheists were reluctant to harm and persecute him in the first few years. In Ibn Sa'd in his Tabaqat, volume 2, page 840, it mentions the grief that was caused to him by the rejection of the polytheists of Makkah was removed when he came to her and she confirmed his words and comforted him. So it mentions that when the people rejected him, he got comfort by Khadija confirming him. So imagine going out, I'm the messenger of Allah, who says you're the messenger of Allah? Rejecting him, so he'd go home and she went again and again say, I testify you are the messenger of Allah. So she was always there reassuring and comforting him. So now, is there a difference of opinion with regards to who was the first to embrace Islam? So, yes, that's a simple answer. Shaykh al-Hadith Mawlana Muhammad Idris Kandahlawi Rahmatullah in the Seerat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam volume 1 page 175 to 7 of the English translation he further elucidated. So quoting, when Imam Abu Hanifa Rahmatullah was asked who was the first person to embrace Islam, he replied, the first free man, it was Abu Bakr Siddiq amongst the women it was Sayyida Khatija The first slave, freed slave to embrace Islam was Zayd ibn al-Haritha whilst Ali was the first child to come into the fold of Islam. This is also in Al-Bidayah, volume 3, page 29. So stopping the quote. So has Imam Abu Hanifa answered the question? The answer is he has, but he also has not. So he's answered it in the sense that what he's saying is absolutely true. The first man was Abu Bakr, the first woman was Khadija, the first fleet servant was Zaid, and the first child was Ali. So with all respect to what the great Imam says, the question is still left. <laughs> well, are these then, okay, you've given us four. <laughs> who, are, who was the first? So the Shaykh continues. Although the narrations dealing with the inception of revelation established that Ali embraced Islam first, amongst the men, this precedent does not enhance his superiority or virtue. So the Shaykh, Mawlana Muhammad Zakriya Kandahli, he's saying, that if you look at just the text, it has to be amongst the males early. But he goes, that is not a proof that he is honored above Abu Bakr. And then he goes, I'll, exp he goes, I'll explain why. For Khatija was his wife and subordinate. The wife will follow the husband. Very rare the wife would oppose the husband. Ali was only a child when he embraced Islam and he was in the care of Rasulullah the children and women folk do not have the nerve to defy the opinion of a superior so isn't that true they were in the household of Rasulullah so you'd expect Khatija and of course Ali to embrace Islam without question then he said on the contrary Sayyidina Abu Bakr was independent free from constraint. He was not subject to anybody's control. His acceptance of Islam without a trace of uncertainty and reluctance, without any pressure and subordination, is indisputably a focus of immense virtue. So putting it simply, what did the Shaykh say? Abu Bakr was not under the charge of Rasulullah. 
He was not even from his tribe. So his embracing Islam was from his own complete sweet free will. He goes, this is an immense virtue for Abu Bakr. Then he said, furthermore, the Islam of Sayyidah Khatija and Sayyidina Ali, radiyallahuma, was restricted to only themselves. Whilst the Islam of Abu Bakr was more comprehensive, far-reaching, and the good of something or someone more comprehensive is better than the good that is narrowly restricted. The moment Abu Bakr embraced Islam, he at once embarked on the propagation and dissemination of Islam. He became a source of great assistance and support to Rasulullah. On the other hand, Ali was only a child. What assistance could he have rendered to Islam at a tender age? In fact, he was hiding his own Iman from his father. So stop in the quote. So Khatija, she supported Rasulullah. Was she propagated? You could argue, Baraka, maybe some of the, of the Christian priests. But generally speaking, she was more focused on Rasulullah. Ali, He's just a mere child, radiyallahu. He's hiding his own iman from his father, so not really propagating. Abu Bakr. <laughs> Soon as he embraced Islam, he's going left, right, and center. Whichever, you know, nobles. So he goes, therefore, that is another great honor for Abu Bakr, radiyallahu. Then he said, Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu submitted to the invitation of Islam right at its very inception without any pressure whatsoever and subsequently exposed his status of embracing Islam. He did not hide his Islam from his father or family, i.e. as in the case of Ali. Abu Bakr's father was alive. Did he hide his Iman? Even from day one, did he go around saying, well, you know, who says I'm a Muslim? Straight away. He goes, he exposed his Islam. He disclosed his Islam to intimate associates, encouraged them particularly to enter the fold of this true religion. This is unquestionably a basis of immense virtue. In short, Sayyidina Abu Bakr was a man of absolute independence, free of all external constraints. He was a man of wisdom and commanded an influential personality. He embraced Islam from its very inception and from the very beginning demonstrated his extensive support for Rasulullah in sharing and spreading the deen. He surrendered his wealth, resources and the entire capital of his life for the cause of Islam. He resolutely supported Rasulullah for a protracted period of 13 years in every calamity and misfortune and repelled the enemies. Due to his young age, Ali did not have the same ability to repel the enemy. Abu Bakr on the other hand started a propagation of Islam the moment he embraced Islam. Mm -hmm. So this is the full quote. So what was the Shaykh saying? The Shaykh was simply saying that if you want to know who was the first to embrace Islam, then obviously you say Khadija. Obviously you're going to say Ali because they're family. Then outside you go uh, Zayd, of course, the servant, then Abu Bakr. But he goes, that should not be the criteria for who has been given more honor. That's the point. Why? Because what then did they do when they embraced Islam? That's the question to pose. And the question is that the only one who really went flat out was Abu Bakr. And he wasn't part of the family. So his embracing Islam was a, a further sacrifice on his part. Now to add a few things.
it is certainly worth mentioning that Abu Bakr radiallahu had accompanied Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa on his famous business trip to Sham, where they encountered Bahira radiallahu the monk, who had testified to Rasulullah's prophethood when he saw boldness prostrating to him, together with a cloud covering him and a tree bowing to shade him. This was when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was around 20 years of age and Abu Bakr Siddiq 18 years of age. Where is this recorded? This is recorded in Tirmidhi. He graded it Hassan Gharib. Hakim in his Mustadrak 2.616 stated Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim. Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah stated Sahih in Sahih with Tirmidhi 3-191. So now, what's the age? So Bahira testified very famously and why he saw amazing signs of prophethood. So don't ask me to explain, but how do rocks prostrate? No idea. But he saw rocks prostrating to the Prophet He saw a cloud shading him. And he saw a tree giving him shade as well. So he testified to the Prophet. How old was the Prophet? 20. How old was Abu Bakr? 18. Two years younger. He was with the Prophet This is a Sahih Hadith. Five years after that, Rasulullah married Khatija. So the business trip where Maysala Khatija's servant was with the Prophet was five years after this. So now question, if Bahira the monk testified to Rasulullah's prophethood, who was with him? Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr was well acquainted with the greatness of our beloved messenger decades before he proclaimed. Thus calumniating into his not hesitating to embrace Islam immediately, unlike others. So there is a very strong case to say, no, Abu Bakr was the first to embrace Islam. And he goes, how is that possible? Rasulullah was in the cave, he went back to his family. You have to go back 20 years prior to that. Then Agha starts scratching his head, he goes, 20 years prior to that? But the Prophet's proclaimed. He goes, yeah, but before that, didn't he have a life before that? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 20 years before that. He went with a trading caravan with Abu Talib and Abu Bakr was with him. So how can it be that Bahira testifies and he tells the Prophet, uh, tells Abu Talib, take your nephew back, I fear for him. And Abu Bakr is listening to all this. Don't you think it's going to enter his heart? And the fact that he embraced Islam immediately shows that he was just waiting for the Prophet to call him to Islam. So why are these facts important? Because you have a very strong case to indicate Abu Bakr was the first, radiyallahu but granted, if you just look for the narration after the kith, then you say Khatija, Ali, Zayd ibn al-Haritha, Waraka, then Abu Bakr. So again, it's very important to highlight that there's a difference of opinion upon who was the one who embraced Islam first. And just to add this, Abu Bakr Siddiq, on the very first day he embraced Islam, this was day one, he got some of the great companions to embrace Islam with him. On the second day, he got other great companions to embrace Islam with him. So putting it very simply, in the first two days, six of the ten promised paradise, six embraced Islam and Abu Bakr's hands. So think about it, the elite ten, he's one of the ten, so obviously that makes nine left. The six of the remaining nine Embrace Islam at Abu Bakr's hands.
Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas Abdul Rahman ibn Awf and Abu Ubaida ibn al-Jarrah So now think about that There were six of the elite ten If I was to ask you how many good deeds did they perform in their noble lives you know, you, you, It's literally off the charts They are all just one good deed of Abu Bakr So imagine by day two he's got all of their lives in his account so how on earth can anybody compete with Abu Bakr? It's impossible. And some even say, Umar was one good deed of Abu Bakr. Umar. And the reason they say that is because Abu uh, Umar himself said that. He goes, I am just one good deed of Abu Bakr. So the scholars look into this statement and they say that this probably Umar was referring to, that he was instrumental in Umar embracing Islam. Umar was going through a change. He would see Abu Bakr do all these noble deeds. You know, spreading Islam, looking after the destitute, freeing the freed slaves. So all of that must have had an impact on Umar. In fact, Umar was beating up one of his own slaves, females, and Abu Bakr freed her. He bought from Umar. So Umar himself testified that I'm one of his good deeds. So you can even extend it to seven. So whatever the case, this is not to belittle Sayyidina Khadija, not in the least. Sayyidina Ali, Sayyidina Zayd ibn al-Haritha, but you're going to be you got to be just. You have to be, you know, you look at the report, you say, look, Allah Ta'ala knows best. That's the simple answer. But, you know, sticking your neck out, you would say, well, this final report where Abu Bakr was with Rasulullah five years before he's married Khatija seems to indicate that Abu Bakr was the first. But he did not obviously proclaim his Islam. Why? Because the Prophet not calling to prophethood. But where's the proof that he was just waiting? Because as soon as the Prophet called him, because he was the only one who doesn't hesitate. The Prophet told him because he never hesitated. Why? Because he already knew. He was just waiting for his friend to call the Prophet. And that's why the great Imam Abu Hanifa said what he said. The Imam Abu Hanifa just said, look, the first man was Abu Bakr. The first woman was Khadija. The first boy was Ali. And the first freed slave was it. Why? It covers everything. Walak is not mentioned because he's not technically a companion of the Prophet which I've discussed in the previous session. So all I mentioned today was basically two things. The first is a few more lessons we take from the great report of the divine revelation descending for the first time. And then as hopefully answered the question somewhat, was Khatija the first believer? And the simple response is it's not an easy answer. However, she was certainly the first female to embrace Islam. There's no doubt about that. And of course, they all go to Jannah and Gurdos. So we're just discussing the technicalities. Are there any questions you'd